hello and welcome to this episode of the Spicedown Podcast. My name is Jacob and I'm your host. This week we'll be talking about the Queen Shadow novel by E.K. Johnston. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Um, our quick news intro. So not a whole lot of Star Wars specific news going on this week. We have the Jedi Temple Challenge game show debuting on the Star Wars Kids YouTube channel. Uh, that'll be this week, uh, debuting on Wednesday. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, the only other big thing we have, uh, John Boyega, if you've uh, been following the news, has been uh, in the Black Lives Matters protests in London. And I'm not going to dwell on it for really any time at all here. Uh, I just don't think I am the right platform for that. Uh, but, uh, I just want to say, uh, I support John and everything he's doing and, uh, yeah, staying behind that movement and I am very proud and happy to see, uh, someone from the Star Wars community, uh, like John standing up and using his platform to further that value. So, uh, yeah, a, a little heavy for this show, but, uh, figured I'd say that and move on. So for the, you know, for Spiced In specific news, um, we have the YouTube channel, which is going going strong. We have uh, right as of right now, we're still doing Fallen Order on Friday and Galaxy of Heroes on Wednesday, uh, and that's probably going to be basically just that's going to be what we are going for the next you know months or a couple months. It's just going to be that. Uh, I yeah, I'm depending on what my free time looks like. I'll probably try. I'll probably start trying to do the podcast backlog on YouTube. Uh, but that's just going to be, it's going to be time consuming. So it'll, it'll be a slow process to get there. Uh, and then just to key in on what our future schedule is looking like. So I'm just doing Queen Shadow this week. We're going to have a non-spoiler section at the beginning and then talk spoilers. So if you care about spoilers, I'll, I'll give you the, the time to dip out. And then, so next week we're going to be doing gallery episodes five and six. Uh, the, so five was practical effects, six was the process, those have both been out by now, uh, but I just, you know, I want to space it out a little bit, one, talking about one episode is definitely not enough, uh, for an episode of this podcast, so split up two, so five and six will be next week, the week after that we're gonna go my next book, hopefully I'll be done with that, and I'm trying to get back on a good clip of reading, I definitely dropped off for a long time, uh, but the next book we're gonna talk about is Master and Apprentice by Claudia Gray. So, yeah, you'll have Gallery 5 and 6 next week, Claudia Gray's Master and Apprentice the week after. That's a uh, prequel-era book. It's talking. It follows a uh, little side adventure with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, obviously before the events of The Phantom Menace, and I've heard great things about that, so I'm excited to dive in. And then the week after that is the Gallery 7 and 8, the last two episodes, which have not aired as of this episode of the podcast coming out. So hopefully that'll be good, and um, yeah, we'll see where we go from there. I have some other ideas for books lined up, uh, whether that's Queen's Peril, the the uh, other E.K. Johnston Padme book that just came out last week, uh, whether that's Dark Disciple, Alphabet Squadron. We have def- we definitely have some options, so uh, we'll see when we get there what I decide to do. Uh, but yeah, um, and then hopefully... Uh, I, I do. I have noticed the past couple episodes. There's been some popping in my audio. I tried a lot of things, couldn't really get it to be fixed. Uh, but I ordered a new mic cable, and we, I'm using it right now. And it seems, I did a little test before the recording. It seems like the issue is fixed. Knock on wood. So hopefully our quality is a little bit better. 
or at least back to normal. So anyways, that's all we have as far as news goes. Not a whole lot going on, uh, but we'll just jump right into the main topic, uh, our book, Queen's Shadow. So the whole story behind Queen's Shadow, it's basically like a year in a life of Padme, uh, right when she starts off being a senator, her right, she, it's the tail end of her uh, monarchy term. She's been appointed to the Galactic Senate, and it's pretty much her first year plus some change of being a senator and what that experience is like. So a little bit of background on the author. I think it's important just because it kind of influences how you, well, not how so much how you look at the book. I think it's just more of you can kind of see where she's coming from with her writing choices. So E.K. Johnston is originally a fan fiction uh, author, uh, and nothing against that, uh, but it does it does kind of play into, I think, her style of writing. Uh, so I, I guess some of the strengths of the book, I feel like it did Padme's relationship with her handmaidens incredibly well, and it expanded a part of, you know, a part of her universe that I didn't super think about very much, like watching The Phantom Menace, you think about Padme, uh, you think about Sabe, who's like taking her place, uh, obviously, and like pretending to be the queen, uh, but you do not, you really don't think about any of the other handmaidens, there's kind of like background. So this book does a good job of expanding that mythos. Uh, I thought that was really cool. Another strength that really does a good job of talking about the culture of Naboo, it's more or less like a utopian artisan society, and it, you know, plays a lot into that. And, uh, and also, I, I guess the last strength I want to highlight is just, it talks a lot about everything that went behind the Amidala persona, because it almost presents Amidala the person as a separate entity, entity entirely from Padme. So I think it did those things well. As far as weaknesses go, I think, well, there's really no central conflict. It's kind of just more of a piece on Padme as a character and her evolution kind of helps show her transition from where we find her in the Phantom Menace to and explaining why she is how she is in certain ways in the Phantom Menace and then how she got from there to being the senator that we see at the start of Attack of the Clones. So I think that's important uh, but you know I, I can understand if people don't find this novel as interesting um, just because there is no central conflict we're really following. In addition I think, you know, those strengths, you know, Padme, the culture of Naboo, her, like, everything that makes her who she is, I feel like it falls back on them. Like, it's kind of hard to say. It's, I just feel like its strengths are sometimes that she, you know, I think the author over uh, relies on them at times. Uh, but you know, it's still good. It's just not for everyone. The last thing is really, like, it's personal. I just... I feel like I feel unfulfilled in certain cases. I'll talk about it when we get into spoilers, but there are certain plot lines that having like watched the Clone Wars, for instance, um, I wish or at least I expected to see. And I feel, feel like we're given hints of them, but then they're never really fully realized. Uh, so I'm not sure if that's so much a weakness as just it, it was an expectation or a desire I had that went unrealized. So, but overall... I enjoyed it. Uh, going into the book, I definitely heard lots of people online and on the Reddit community saying it was one of their least favorite. I wouldn't favorites. I wouldn't go that far. Taking a peek back on my shelf, I would say it's in the lower half of if I were to rank all my all my canon books as far as uh, how much I enjoy them. But I wouldn't say it's bad. 
I would, you know, it's, I would say it's not for everyone. If you're just a person that does not like the prequels, that does not like the politics of the prequels, especially. Uh, well, first I would say give this a chance because I think it executes the uh, political side of it much better, uh, than the movies did. Um, but if you're, if you, if you're dead set against that, I would understand you not liking that. And I would say this is one that is, you're, you're fine skipping. You're not getting anything huge world building wise in here, but you know, if you think you're going to, if you think you're going to skip it, but still would like to know what happens, then you can uh, just stick around and I'll tell you. So I think that's it. As far as non-spoilers go, I would say it's a tentative recommendation depending like i feel like if you go into the book knowing you're gonna like it or not gonna like it that's about all that's about all i can say your your whatever your preconceived notions of this book are it's probably gonna end up being true so with that out of the way we're heading right into spoilers so yeah the book opens with a short little cool prologue and it's kind of just talk it's about a page and a half just kind of telling the final moments of padme being prepared during the siege and the occupation of naboo uh, them making the swap with Sabe and the handmaidens as they're all preparing for the Trade Federation to come in and take them hostage. Uh, and yeah, Sabe takes Padme's place and she, Padme effectively becomes the queen shadow, you know, the stalking presence behind the image of the queen. And that's kind of where the title of the book comes from. It's not like a shadow, like a dark secret. It's really that dual role, uh, between handmaiden and Padme. But the interesting thing is once this switch is made, it's not just that Sabe's meant to look like Padme and act like Padme. She is effectively like the acting queen, like her decisions go when uh if someone asks her about something, she, you know, she is doing her best to stick to what she knows Padme would do, uh but she like her rule is final for now. But we skip ahead to Padme, she's out on a, the lake property in the lake country that she talks about in Attack of the Clones uh, and Revenge of the Sith, but she's on a lake house uh, with her handmaidens and Captain Panaka from The Phantom Menace. Uh, it's right at the end of her rule, and it's tradition for the outgoing monarch to spend about two weeks, the final two weeks of the election, pretty much in neutrality out of the public eye so the election can uh, be completed. She served her uh, second two-year term, the maximum for a queen on Naboo, and despite people wanting to extend her reign as queen, she decided to step down. An interesting kind of world-building world building tidbit, all of, her all of her maidens took A names, so like uh, Padme, Sabe, Sache, there, there, there's like six of them, but it's so they took these names in honor of her. Although there is one handmaiden in the, it's in the Thrawn Alliances book. Her handmaiden, uh, that's part of that plotline, and her name's Duja. So I guess someone didn't get the message, although I think this book probably, I have to look. I'm not sure which one came out first, but all of them have A names, and this is the explanation behind that, I guess. But they're just kind of chilling and relaxing when she gets a message that Palpatine is coming for a surprise visit. They have a private audience with her, uh, and he asks her about her plans for the future. And she uh, hadn't really planned on talking about it yet, but she tells him that she hopes to use her resources to go out and decrease slavery across the galaxy, uh, having been affected so much by her trip to Tatooine. 
So while he's there, he also uh, mentions to her that Newt Gunray is on trial in the Senate and is being held up yet again. They've been stalling it out. I think it's like on their third trial, but that's still kind of the status quo for now. After he leaves, they go out and kind of start relaxing again, and they talk about all the handmaidens going on their separate ways. Uh, You know, it's Naboo, so you have sculptors and painters and musicians and stuff like that, and scientists. It's really, like, they go a long way to, like, just show pretty much that Naboo is perfect in its own bubble. Like, if there's no other galaxy, and it was just... If Naboo was Earth, it would be, like, the greatest place ever. Just the outside influence poisons their planet. But everyone's talking about how they will go their own way, except for her, her, uh, her best, closest handmaiden, Sabe, uh, who wishes to join Padme on the next leg of her adventure. But they are interrupted to find out the results of the election. They're finding out the next queen is actually an old one. It's one that served a single term before Padme. And although it goes unsaid, no one in their party there really uh, supported this person. So, but they head to the coronation. And there, the next queen asks Padme to become a senator for Naboo. Uh, She accepts, and her and Sabe are going to take on a mission. Although she's, you know, now being called to this political office. Sabe is going to try and help fulfill her goal of taking down slavery, so Padme will go to Coruscant while Sabe will go to Tatooine. When Padme arrives, she uh, is on the tail end of a mind-numbing six-week orientation process on Coruscant. She has been assigned three new handmaidens, and they will be helping her with, you know, being basically political aides but also fulfilling the role of her, you know, the role that her handmaidens fulfilled on Naboo when she was queen. They, like, helped dress her, preserve her image, and pretty much they're, like, Swiss army knife-like assistants. Uh, But she's told by her protocol droid, which has been kind of acting haywire recently, that she's been requested to go to the lower levels of the Senate building. Her and Corday, one of her new handmaidens, decide this would be a good place to try and uh, pull off a swap maneuver. So Corday dresses up as Padme, and they all head out to this lower level of the Senate building. But when we're there, Bail Organo uh, walks in and asks why they're down there, because this area is apparently set up for demolition. So her droid is obviously faulty. It's like slurring its speech. But no one took heed to her uh, request to get it repaired, so Bail has it sent away immediately. And she uh, starts heading back to her apartment wondering why someone would try and kill her, and why Bail was there of all people. Of course, the tabloids take this opportunity to rip her apart for being, you know, dumb and trying to go into a area marked off for uh, demolition. And uh, after that, she attends her first Senate session and sees the bureaucracy in first hand, the political machine she fought against in the, in the movie. Uh, and she uh, is able to attend a, an event in Palpatine's office for new senators. And there we uh, meet some big players for the rest of the novel and also players we were introduced to in Clone Wars including Rush Clovis, Mina Von Terry, and we're also now formally introduced to Bail Organa. Meanwhile, on Tatooine, Sabe has begun her mission uh, with Tanra, who is a guardsman. Uh, however, she has kind of failed miserably from the outset. Uh, she tried to align herself with the criminals to approach it from that uh, point of view, uh, but she was they didn't trust her. And then after that, she found out there were people already in, like, a liberation movement. Uh, But now that she tried to align herself with criminals, they won't side with her either. Uh, So she kind of was left uh, with no real choice to go forward. 
but after a few weeks, she managed to buy 25 slaves and uh, brought them to a nearby system, Carlinus. It's an agricultural planet with a high seasonal worker turnover, uh, so they could drop these former slaves there, freed. They would work there for a few years, get and then get enough pay to go wherever they wanted in the galaxy and start a new life. So, you know, it's great for those 25, but Sabe's just disappointed that she couldn't help more people. Took so long for her to only get this small portion when there's an entire, you know, there's a galaxy's worth of slaves, and she got 25. But, of course, those 25 people, it means the world to them. Uh, Padme later speaks with her, and it turns out that during this process, Sabe was looking for Anakin's mother, uh, but had no luck. She'd already been sold off. Uh, they don't know where to, but we obviously know that it was uh, the Lars homestead bought her. And uh, Sabe plans to go to the next part of Tatooine to start again. But first, Padme needs her to come to Coruscant to help them out. They arrive on planet and meet in a canteen with Padme and her pilot. Uh, and they are brought up to speed on everything, including the attempted assassination. And uh, they are told they need to try and look into the tabloids and see who is you know who's going after her and what they can do about helping her reputation because uh you know her reputation is everything if people don't take her seriously she'll have no political capital padme after this realizes she must get on a committee of sorts to you know start flexing her legs and increasing her you know again her political power uh she tried to talk to the chancellor and see if uh, she could get on an anti-slavery committee that he had started up except for since there is technically no slavery in the galaxy they had to kind of go roundabout ways to create it. It's actually a committee on the transportation of goods. And he outright dismisses her, saying that she would undermine his power. So, obviously, definitely some Palpatine scheming going on here. So, she's sent away from that. And she decides to she needs to work on a committee that would separate herself from Palpatine. Because everyone sees her as his lapdog. You know, she came in from his planet, she uh, deposed the former chancellor to have him come in and take her, uh, take the chancellor's place, and then she was put as senator. It's pretty shady looking, to be blunt, so she needs to separate himself, herself from him. So to do this, she decides to join Bail Organa's committee on the transportation of construction materials, as he is definitely not a close ally of the chancellor. After a little digging, her new handmaidens discovered that it has, of course, been the Trade Federation behind much of the slander in the news. Padme's first committee meeting isn't exactly the most exciting thing, as it is construction materials, and as someone who works in civil engineering, yeah, I can tell you it's probably not going to be very fun. Uh, she does, though, get introduced to the senator from Chandrilla, a.k.a. Mon Mothma. Uh, from her, she uh, kind of learns, uh, she gets taken to school a little bit, and Mon kind of shows her the ideal of the Republic comes before your home planet as a senator. Uh, but, you know, after that meeting, she goes out and meets Mina Bonteri, a uh, big Clone War, well, uh, minor-ish. I thought she was interesting, but she's, you know, in the Clone Wars a little bit. And Mina plays a, a, a literary foil to Mothma and talks about how it's important to, uh, you know, be there and support your home planet and advocate for, for them. Definitely dropping some heavy separatist undertones. So after this meeting, Padme heads back and her security staff kind of throughout this book is super overbearing and get they get really frustrated with her when she's not like following their strict protocol. So to try and circumvent this, she reassures them that she'll have a little uh, a little extra safety security going around with her from now on. And that is R2-D2, our little 
blue and white buddy. Uh, she later receives an invite to a gala hosted by Mon Mothma, and we learn from Sabe and her digging that the Padme is supposed to serve as a distraction, so Mon Mothma can have some private conversations with other senators in a public venue. So she tries to do, uh, you know, do a swap, bring in Padme, uh, or sorry, bring in Sabe, uh, have her disguised as a guard, get on premise, switch in a in a uh, bathroom. And uh, then she can go and spy around while Sabe's taking her place and pulling all the cameras. At the party, they have a successful switch. And while we're there, we're introduced to Uncle Anno uh, from Clone Wars. He's a Rodian senator and an old friend of her father's. So I, I talked about in the in the preview, uh, I, there were some uh, storylines I wish they talked about and didn't. This is one of them. Because in the Clone Wars, it's like a big deal that Uncle Anno is like in penance for he like screwed up something and we're never really told what it is it's just like no one trusts me because i screwed this thing up and uh, i'm assuming it's something separatist related uh but we're never told exactly what it is i'm like oh we're gonna learn what that is here he's gonna make a big mistake uh and gonna learn from his mistake and move on and then we get that we get the fallout from that in the clone wars but that never happens so wishful thinking but i really would have hoped to see that in this book so anyways but we meet him uh, you know, they're just talking. She had originally kind of avoided him because, again, she doesn't want to, similar with Palpatine, she doesn't want to seem like she's there for the wrong reasons, that she was just gifted this position. She needed to set out on her own and establish herself before she uh, started talking with him again. But meanwhile, uh, Padme and Typho slip out and discover that Mon Mothma is having a private conversation with Uncle Anno and uh, Senator Organa. Uh, they say that uh, Bonteri has been receiving encrypted messages from Offworld, and they believe she's trying to sway Padme to her side, so they decide that they need to try and confront Padme to bring them into their alliance. So that puts her in a panic. She needs to rush back and switch again, so she has an authentic conversation with them. Uh, so she like hurries back to Sabe to make the swap again, and all's going well until Bail Organa catches up to her, sees her, Still in her guard uniform, straight on in the face. And, uh, yeah, the gig is up. Uh, she makes a switch, and he's really not... He's not too particularly upset about it. Uh, but she now knows that... Well, he now knows of their ruse, and she kind of retires it here and there. Uh, but she decides to join their alliance, uh, but she tells them in return she will not spy on Bonteri for them. And for their part, Mon Mothma will try and use her influence to ease the media eye off her back. Uh, and the next few months of her uh, political tenure are pretty smooth sailing. Now that she's in a faction, she uh, is a little better off in the Senate. Uh, they're about to go into leg legislative recess, and uh, she's planning to return home to Naboo, but before they go, uh, she gets a last-minute invite to visit Alderaan and the Organa family. Nothing really huge happens on Alderaan, uh, plot-wise. Again, like I said, there's not a huge overarching pl plot anyways. It's just kind of cool to see... Alderaan, which is basically like Naboo light in this book. And we get some sweet moments with uh, Queen Brea and Padme, who obviously, you know, Brea is going to be Leia's adopted mother uh, someday. So it's kind of cool to see them talk, and it's uh, very sweet moments between the two of them who are both, well, Brea is a monarch currently, Padme a former monarch, and over, again, overseeing worlds that share a lot in common between their focus on art and culture and their peaceful, nonviolent ways. So that's kind of cool. 
At one point, Padme has some one-on-one time with Sabe, and they kind of talk about their future. And before they leave, Bale also has a conversation with Sabe and drops some interesting tidbits on how, you know, saying that everyone always underestimates her, how she has sort of a quiet strength. She's definitely a small, diminutive diminutive woman, uh, but she is incredibly capable, uh, not only with, like, a blaster, uh, but just, again, like, the Swiss Army knife of uh, political aides. So after the short little detour, Padme heads back to Naboo uh, and has a catch-up with the Queen. This is a year after she started. Uh, they discuss her progress as well as the uh, attempt on her life at the beginning. Padme uh, suggests sending out some food as aid and relief to some systems around the, their region of the Midrim. Part of her uh, time with her construction committee is they've been dealing with piracy, and the Senate, of course, doesn't really want to do anything about it, doesn't want to show force. So Padme comes up with the idea of uh, sharing excess crops around the region, uh, especially in areas known for piracy, hoping that uh, people aren't driven to poverty and driven to extreme actions like piracy, and it will reduce the rate of crime without necessarily coming down with force. But after that, the Queen and uh, Padme have a little one-on-one session And uh, they talk about, you know, not only Padme's time in the Senate and how important that is, but also uh, why the former queen decided to run again. It's kind of interesting how she said basically she didn't feel like she was right in the position, but after taking some time away, uh, she knew that if she could, you know, she was like a singer, like an opera singer. She knew if she could pull off that role and be confident and not have to worry, then she could essentially she could essentially govern again. So, I mean, it's kind of interesting reading it. I'm doing a pretty poor job of explaining that. But after that, she sent away. The, they were unsure if she was going to return to the Senate, but they are all looking forward to her doing so. Uh, so she heads back and visits her parents for most of the rest of the time. And uh, also meets her sister, who has a new, they have a new niece. It's an, and, you know, it's a nice, peaceful time. There's lots of love in this family. And, I like, I guess this book, there's a lot of books like this in the Star Wars world. Uh, where, you know, especially pre, you know, prequel era books where it's all just like slamming you in the face with dramatic irony. Like we're kind of shown what her life could be if she decided to not go to the Senate, if she decided to only take one year off for the Senate and then just live her life. But, you know, she would probably be peaceful. She may not, she may never feel as accomplished or anything like that. She might not feel fulfilled as much, but she would live a peaceful life and not be murdered by her husband. So, you know, even under the Empire, a Padme, Amida- a Padme Amidala could live a full life um, if she was not in the Senate. So, yeah, it's just kind of showing you everything that could be and that will not be, which is a little depressing at times, but, you know, dramatic irony for you. Before she heads back to the next Senate session, she has one last dinner with her former handmaidens that were left home. Uh, and it's a nice, perfect way to end her recess. Back on Coruscant, we arrive. She arrives one day early to get settled in, uh, but only to be called in for an emergency session of the Senate. And here's the like: if you're gonna, there's a plot. This is kind of the closest thing, a central plot that we could have, and it's like over halfway into the book. Uh, but the Brom Larch system got hit by a massive earthquake that devastated their aqueduct system, and are in desperate need for aid. Uh, Senator Clovis proposes to send a team out to survey the damage and come up with a cost for repairs. And Bonteri seconds his motion and moves to take charge of the uh, of the team. The Chancellor also uh, says they should send a Jedi envoy as well, and Padme volunteers to join that group. 
given how her pleas to save her world from this, uh, with the help of the Senate were, fell on deaf ears in The Phantom Menace, this is definitely somewhat of a personal, relatable matter to her. Uh, so she definitely wants to be involved. Also at the urging of Senator Organa to uh, be a part of this. But they end up uh, taking Master Depa Balaba to Bromlarch with them. She obviously is Caleb Doom's future master, uh, a.k.a. Canon Jarrus. So they head over there, and they are able to bring a few rations and meet with relief workers uh, on in the planet. They uh, meet with like a liaison, is what it's called, someone who's kind of trying to coordinate a lot of the, the uh, cleanup and the rebuild. And she tells them the main needs of their people. They're going to need water and food and then the ability to fix the water, uh, the aqueduct uh, to secure water in the future. And not only is, you know, the aqueduct a system to water the crops and convey water to the people, but they also need to control flooding in certain regions upstream. Uh, so they're going to need permacrete to make the repairs, which of course is very helpful since Padme is on the Construction Equipment Transportation Committee. So they figure out a plan of action, and on the return trip, she uh, Padme speaks with Clovis a little bit, and you see their relationship develop. Again, another missed plot point that we talk about, you know, in the Clone Wars, we're given hints at a relationship that was, uh, but it never really happens. We'll get there in a bit, but I don't feel like the way their past relationship was presented in the Clone Wars matches at all with what this book shows it to be. Uh, so yeah, they're talking on the ship on the way back, and she speaks of a time... You know, not only is this personal because of the Naboo connection and their occupation scenario, but she also tells him of a time where, when she was very young, she helped her father with relief work for a different planet. Uh, they'd uh, evacuate the planet of Shada B. Boren uh, since their son was dying. And although they got everyone off-world, everyone eventually died because the son, the nutrients provided by their son couldn't be replicated. And they, uh, yeah, they, they all perished. But she says that even if, uh, you know, even with face the task of doing it again, she would do it a thousand times, ten thousand times, as many times as it would take just to save one person. Again, this book is more a character study of Padme than anything else, and these moments are kind of what makes that work. Back on Coruscant, they uh, return to the Senate, and Bond Harry presents their findings and the request for the aid package. But of course, Lot Dodd, the representative for the Trade Federation, steps in and interferes, saying basically the Republic can't step in and pay for what is essentially an internal planetary issue. However, he'd be, of course, willing to have the Trade Federation set up a loan uh, to help the Bromlarch government. So the motion is defeated. Padme is certainly not happy and devises a way to get around this and fix the problem. So she immediately has a meeting with the senator from Bromlarch, as well as Bail Organa and Clovis, and she urged Bromlarch not to accept the Trade Federation relief package because they just find themselves in the same situation Naboo was in. They need to figure out a way to, uh, you know, a new way forward, make sure they flip a bunch of votes, and they had three days to introduce this bill. So rather than focusing on relief specifically for Bromlarch, they decide to rebrand and create a mid-rim collaboration bill. They would uh, focus by taking uh, the leaders of certain voting blocks, like Malastare, for instance, and having giving benefits to all of them, kind of a like a cycle of trade. So everyone gets something out of this, and then that way they would pr uh, you know push those people to vote yes. Her and Clovis basically work nonstop for three days to get this uh, get this going, but they achieve their goal. 
They have a proposal involving over a dozen powerful systems in the mid-rim. And Padme, this has been kind of a big deal at this point, addresses the Senate personally for the first time in session. So she presents the motion as a better way for the entire mid-rim region. And it passes uh, seemingly incredibly easily. And uh, it's kind of like the foundation, again, like I said, that foundation we see for Padme. The Padme we see in Attack of the Clones. And, you know, afterwards, uh, Clovis meets her in her office to celebrate their combined, their shared success, uh, except, uh, you know, there's have being friendly, and he goes in and kisses her. She is mad, uh, tells him that they're just colleagues, and kind of just throws him out of her office. So, if that's all we're led to believe their relationship was, it's kind of ridiculous that we had, you know, episodes upon episodes. Not, not that many. There's like three or four episodes with him in the Clone Wars series where Anakin's being like a green monster. Uh, like a jealous freak the entire time and Padme's like yeah we used to be in a relationship and then we're shown in this book that oh he kind of thrust himself upon me and I I uh, shot him down and then uh, we moved on with our life obviously you know they could have a relationship after that point between then and the start of Attack of the Clones but eh <laughs> I was like okay if this is it then that's I don't know it just doesn't really feel like it lines up very well but anyways Padme then accompanies one of the convoys with supplies to Bromlarch, uh, and at one of their stops along the way, they are ambushed by pirates, but are unable. They're they are able to escape without any real damage, uh, and she uh, is joined by Mon Mothma as well as some other senators, including a Wookiee senator from Kashyyyk. And it's kind of interesting. They part of the trade deal was they contracted Wookiee uh, laborers to help rebuild the aqueduct. So you have that contrast of here under the Republic, they're getting paid for their efforts. But under the Empire, Wookiees were used massively across the galaxy as slave labor. Just because, you know, they're eight-foot-tall, powerful creatures uh, with some, you know, relative amount of intelligence. After the voyage to Bromlarch, they returned to Coruscant, and she has kind of a, a heart-to-heart with Mon Mothma about everything. During which, the biggest point the biggest point to come out of this book, she recommends Padme look into having a representative from Naboo uh, work with her on the Senate. So... Tracing this conversation, you know, Padme's like, oh, I don't know who I would be. Oh, wait, I have an idea. Tracing this conversation, Mon Mothma recommends Padme get a representative from Naboo. So then Padme thinks Jar Jar Binks is a great selection. So Jar Jar comes to Coruscant. And then Padme is off-world. Jar Jar has to take her place and is persuaded to grant Palpatine emergency powers. And then from there, uh, the rest is history. It is then directly can be tied to Mon Mothma. It is all Mon Mothma's fault that uh, the Empire was created in the first place. So, you're welcome. Anyways, uh, after this meeting, she also, again, goes from a meeting with Mon Mothma to a meeting with Mina Bonteri, who makes it pretty clear that they're no longer really friends anymore, with no real explanation. She has been, it's this, this is the second or third time uh, that she's been dropped uh you know hinted as having some secret uh off-world ally uh and it's kind of probably count dooku uh but it's uh, you would imagine that she is upset she was told probably to try and make sure the senate stalls they fail the bureaucracy fails bromlarch and then she can flip bromlarch into a separatist sympathizer and hopefully join the cis after they emerge from the republic that's pretty much the end of their friendship uh also you know I get like I guess I think it's still it's not as bad as the Clovis thing, but in the Clone Wars they're presented to be longtime old friends when it was basically a year, 
of them being like pretty, you know, you know, amicable, but it's not like they're ever super close. And you'd think that kind of fallout there would pretty much be the end of it. But anyways, Hanmei heads back to her apartment and is getting, just getting settled in from the whole Bromlart situation when Sabe comes flying in on the balcony and sprints off her and literally jumps from her speeder onto the balcony, tells her Newt Gunray through all this. Another central plot line uh, has been found innocent of all charges and he will keep his title and assets. Basically nothing will happen to him after he occupied Naboo. Not surprising. Kind of knew this was coming, but that that is that. And that's the end of the main book. There's a short little epilogue. It jumps from basically pre-Attack of the Clones all the way to Padme's funeral at the end of Revenge of the Sith. We find out that the governor, Sio Bibble, uh, he's like the bearded dude from A Phantom Menace, retired. And although Sache, one of her former handmaidens, was all, pretty much all but guaranteed to succeed him in a vote to become the next governor, the Empire actually decided to appoint Captain Panaka as governor. Uh, Sabe, and we're seeing this from her point of view, is grieving with Tanra over the loss of her friend, and, you know, basically her everything. Um, we, there, I, I would, you know, she, she, you know, Sabe does, I didn't talk about it, but she does have a romantic interest in Tanra, uh, but it's also implied that, I feel like it's hinted at that Padme is more to her than just a friend, whether it's, like, romantic love for her or something, you know, slightly different. Uh, it definitely, Padme was pretty much everything to Sabe, and, you know, her name reflects that even. But yeah, she loses that person so close to her, uh, but she, her plan is to go pack up and go to Coruscant and dig up what happened to her friend. Uh, but before she leaves, she looks at her computer, at the last works of Padme, uh, which include calls to reinstitute, ch- reinstitute Chancellor term limits, advocating for a clone personhood, a motion to bring all hyperspace lanes under the Republic control to avoid taxing and uh, territorial fighting, and uh, drafts upon drafts of anti-slavery proposals. But all that is dead now. Um, before she leaves, she gets one final call from Cinder Organa, and that's uh, all we're left with. You know, We don't really know what happens, but she'll at least have the peace of likely finding out the truth of what happened to her friend, and hopefully the chance to meet Leia. Overall, not a bad book. Like I said, if you think you're going to like it, you'll probably like it. If you think you're going to hate it, I mean, fill in the blanks. I think it's just pretty much how you approach this book is how you're going to receive it. Overall, I I, I thought it was pretty good. Definitely on the lower half, but not bad. So that's that. Uh, You know, like I said, next week you can catch me talking about the gallery episodes 5 and 6 and the week afterwards if you want to prep. Or, you know, if you're deciding to try and read along with me, I'll be reading Master and Apprentice. So, look forward to that. Last plugs, I guess, you know, check out the YouTube channel. We've got Jedi Fallen Order, as well as Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes, if you're into that. Uh, And uh, if not, it's also hopefully soon going to be a way to uh, consume the podcast in addition to the audio feed. So, Spiced In on YouTube, at Spiced In Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, let me know if you uh, liked what I had to say. If you have any uh, feedback for me, uh, you know where to find me. As always, thanks to Granbull for providing our music, and may the force be with you. Mm-hmm.